Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe right here on Hawaii Public Radio, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum, and this week we will jump right into our conversation and get a retrospective look at IT modernization in government during the year 2022. And with that, I would like to welcome the state's chief information officer, Doug Murdoch, to the show. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Aloha, Bert. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, Doug, I mean, we uh, had you on not too long ago when when the uh, Hawaii Annual Code Challenge was sort of just kicking off, uh, you know, earlier, earlier, well, maybe about, about a, two, three months ago, and uh, uh, you and Governor Ege were on, and uh, of course, uh, uh, we'll get to we'll get to some of the things that, that um, you know, came out of the, the last uh, Hawaii Annual Code Challenge, but of course, you know, we, we wanted to take an opportunity to take a look at some of the things that, uh, you know, your department uh, had to look at uh, through the pandemic. I mean, even even after, let's say, you know, 2021, 2022, I mean, a lot of the work uh, really took place and a lot of improvements, uh, you know, went into went into the, the IT infrastructure. But before we get into that, Doug, maybe maybe describe a little bit how. Uh, ETS, Enterprise Technology Solutions. I mean, what is it? How does it work, and and how do you really interact with some of the other departments throughout the state? Because as as ETS, you don't just do everything for everybody, right? So there's there's technical resources that are, you know, in place in the different departments, and and so what does the the what what would you describe the key role for ETS uh, to to perform? Uh, given given all these technical resources throughout the state departments? Yeah, Bert, the first thing we do is we help with strategy. So we set a statewide IT strategy or strategic plan mm-hmm. that has seven elements, and we try and work with all the departments on those different elements. And then we do governance for the state, so helping decide which projects need to go next. And as part of that, we do portfolio management where we have a a system that we use to keep track of all the programs and all the work that's being done, you know, projects on those, on the applications. And then we just try and help people, you know, take care of things they need to do. Mm-hmm. And then we finally, we provide a lot of central services, like we run the main state network and we do the cybersecurity on the network. And we have a lot of shared services that we provide, like Microsoft 365 and cybersecurity tools and Adobe, eSign, and and so many other things, probably a list of 40 things that we provide to the state so that we're all using a common tool set as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Now, you you said the strat plan, the the strategic plan. When did that actually come out? And and maybe maybe share a little bit about what some of those seven uh, main kind of key points that came out of the plan. Yeah, that's a great question because I think everything we do is really informed by the strategic plan. Mm -hmm. Um, so it started under the prior CIO, Todd Nakapoi, mm-hmm. and with the help of Transform Hawaii government, we, we had strategic planning sessions, and we came up with these seven elements. The partner for successful business outcomes, recognizing the need to help the businesses run better with IT, expanding statewide cybersecurity strategy, enhancing the value of state data, optimizing enterprise systems, those being kind of our legacy systems, Extending our IT portfolio governance, uh, implementing dynamic and sustainable IT operations, and digital workforce development. So each of those has elements in the plan that we try to work on. 
And, you know, for example, under enhanced the value of state data, one of our goals was to get a chief data officer position mm-hmm. created to try and lead the state in that area. And, and we did get that done under uh, portfolio governance. We did buy a, pro- a product called LeanIX that we use to track all of the applications and all of the projects that are being done with them and where they're hosted and things like that so that we can make good governance decisions for the state's IT systems. So when when you do the strat plan and and you know you just uh, went over the some of the seven kind of priorities, uh, the job of the CIO then becomes really identifying uh, what it's going to take to accomplish those particular goals and 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 a lot of it is is actually interacting with the legislature right and trying to see if you can get the, the corresponding funding to make those happen. Sure. Yeah. I mean that's a huge part of my job. <laughs> yeah. Is you know, working with the departments, with the governor's office, and with the legislature mm-hmm. to try and then fund those priorities that we set up that need to happen. So, you know, whether it be a new IT system or a, a position, you know, uh, during this last uh, four years, we got additional cybersecurity positions added to help protect the state's data. And we also had additional money added for cybersecurity to add more tool sets to try and protect. You know, we sort of have to use uh, essentially robots to protect our network because, you know, China's got lots of people and Korea's got lots of people and they also have their own robots. So Mm -hmm. in order to be able to move fast enough to protect everything, we have to have our own sort of automated technology for cybersecurity. And, you know, the legislature and the governor have been very supportive of us, you know, putting those things in place. And and, uh... I'm I'm glad they're supportive. I was going to ask you the question, how much did it take to really get them to understand what the need is? I mean, and oftentimes this gets pretty technical. It might get, uh, you know, into the weeds as to what kind of systems and, and the amount of money that it might cost to, you know, to uh, achieve those particular goals, let's say cybersecurity. Uh, how, how, I mean, what does it take to actually get the message across that this is a, an essential requirement? You know, I think uh, everybody realizes that IT is so important to the state. Mm-hmm. It's it's as important as electricity, and it might be more important than buildings today. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be we needed buildings that people could come to and get services. You know, now it's almost more important that we have IT so that they can be online instead of standing in line to get state services. So generally speaking, everybody understands that IT plays a more and more important role in how the state does business. And, and people really want good services. They're used to working with Amazon and, and their bank and credit card companies, and they can do all that online. And so it's frustrating with if you're dealing with the state or the county and you have to stand in line to get something done. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to trying to make it easier and easier to do business with the state, you know, for the benefit of the citizens. And, you know, over the uh, last couple of years, given the fact that in a, in a normal time, uh, what you're describing is still very important, but in a time of a crisis like a like a pandemic, uh, you have to st- you have to not only uh, express the importance but the urgency of all of this having to happen like right away because you can also you know you can always have plans to let's say improve or get you know replace the the mainframe, but when it comes time to actually uh, take care of let's say unemployment claims right i mean you're now under a crisis mode so how do how do you transform from the kind of the 
the normal operating mode of, of strategic planning into a more crisis mode of, of planning? You know, that's a good question. And so much of uh, so many of our systems were modernized already that were really helpful, like having Microsoft 365 and mm-hmm, Adobe mm-hmm. eSign allowed a lot of people to work from home that were state employees. And we even brought in like uh, IP telephones for people to use from home and Teams meetings that people could do from home and, of course, Zoom and things like that for public meetings. So we, we were able to stand up the state in a work from home kind of scenario pretty quickly, mm-hmm. except where we had uh, legacy uh, systems that hadn't been modernized very well. So unemployment insurance was a good example of something that is a legacy system. It Mm -hmm. has some more modern pieces kind of wrapped around it to try and help it work better. Uh, But it was very challenging for everybody to get that system working and serve the number of people that needed help. So, you know, I think we have to count that as a failure of the state to not modernize fast enough in that area. Um, But again, nobody really expects, you know, a once in a hundred year pandemic to happen. Um, I will say that the Department of Labor and Industrial Relations had a plan to modernize the unemployment insurance system and that they were probably two years away from doing that mm-hmm. when the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously they didn't make any progress really during the pandemic because they were busy just trying to help people. But they're back on path now to try and put a new system in within a few years. So, you know, just because the pandemic is over doesn't mean we're going to stop fixing things. We're going to keep, you know, modernizing our systems uh, as fast as we can. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I <clears throat> when the pandemic hit, uh, I was involved with uh, uh, something called Safe Travels. And, and I know Safe Travels have has gone through a, an incredible sort of evolution. And, and maybe what I, I'd like you to share is what, sort of evolution did it go through, you know, kind of behind the scenes? We want to hold that thought. We'll be right back on a short break to continue our conversation with the Chief Information Officer, Doug Murdoch. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. If you're just joining us, we're talking to the Chief Information Officer for the State of Hawaii, Doug Murdoch, and and he has uh, seen a lot of hap- things happening, you know, through the uh, last uh, four years, especially you know the fact that there was a pandemic in there <laughs> over the last two years, and and you know one of the systems, Doug, that uh, <clears throat> you know I had had gotten involved in early, early on. Uh, which was uh, something called Safe Travels, which tried to help uh, the uh, folks, you know, traveling to register, and 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 we could get some information and and, and kind of do some some tracking of of folks as they as they come in and and quarantining and and things like that. But I know that 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 system has evolved quite a bit from when I was involved. And maybe you can describe a little bit about the the process by which. You know, safe travels sort of uh, evolved, and I, I don't. I, maybe you can help me if it's still in operation or, or it's just sort of uh, evolved into something else totally. But what was it that uh, took place, kind of behind the scenes? 
I'll start by saying that it ended last March, uh, but a lot of the technology that we developed during Safe Travels has spread its way throughout the state Mm -hmm. to other projects. So everything we learned from Safe Travels has helped us be a better state in in terms of how we present things. Um, And I can even say that there's a, a group called the Digital Government, and they give every state a grade every year. And we had always gotten a B minus uh, in the last few years, but we got an A minus or B plus. Yeah, we got an A minus this year. Oh, great! And a lot of that was because of things that we put in during safe travels that made state government more accessible to the citizens. So, um, what kind yeah, of what, what, what kind of things? Yeah, what kind of things were uh, were put in place? What kind of lessons did, did we learn? I think some of the data analytics that we learned mm-hmm. in terms of how to keep track of things, uh, digital forms, uh, digital tracking of information, transferring information from one system to another. And I think one of the more important ones is voice bots and chat bots that can help answer questions without anybody having to talk to a person or that can refer somebody you know, to the right person. So you know, if you call unemployment insurance, for example, you might just need to reset your password, or you might just have an easy question, or you might really need to ask detailed questions about your situation. And There are three different kinds of people that would answer those different questions. Mm-hmm. So the chatbot can refer you to the person who is best able to answer your question. And, and Doug, what you're describing, is that something that's kind of in place that uh, could automate a, a call center, and is that is that something that could be applicable for another kind of application? Sure, we're seeing these kinds of call centers stand up now in health department, human services, and unemployment insurance, and I think we'll see more of them in other places. So um, people will be able, and you know, another thing that's great about chatbots and voice bots is they're available twenty four seven, seven days a right, week. Right, right. Unlike state offices that are open eight hours a day, five days a week. Mm-hmm. So you can get your question answered anytime, and a little easier than just going on the website and and looking and looking and looking for the data you need. And and does a chatbot um, just get the information delivered via chat, or is there? something that's automated that uh, kind of, you know, an automated response kind of uh, uh, a resource? Well, you know, they, we set up what are called um, response. We set up responses based on the question. Mm-hmm. So it has an artificial intelligence behind it. So if you say password or I want to reset my password, it has a particular fulfillment for that, mm-hmm. sort of like ordering a pizza. If I want a pepperoni, then... You know, you go one place. If you want spaghetti, you go someplace else. So, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. the for the artificial intelligence that's built into the chatbots, if you say password, we take you to the person that can reset your password. If you say, uh, you know, what what shot do I need to come to Hawaii? Uh, we can answer that question. You know, to get out of quarantine, and if you want to know. Where can I ask? Where can I find out information about unemployment insurance? Then we can take you to the right place for that. So it's really just to try and help people get to what they need from government faster than they ever could before. Wow, that's great! And and uh, the people that are on the receiving end of the the, the chatbots redirection. I mean, where do they reside? Well, mostly they're Hawaii citizens, uh-huh. and so they're getting services, but. 
we also, especially during safe travels, we were getting calls from all over the world, mm-hmm. you know, asking questions like, you know, what what kind of test do I have to take to get out of quarantine? So, you know, we would then give them the answer to that. Uh, it was also in an FAQ on the Department of Health website, but some people don't want to dig through all that mm-hmm. to find the answer. Um, some people don't want to talk to a chatbot or a voice bot either, but... It, because it's 24-7 and because it can try and get you to the right person, I still think it's it's smart to go ahead and try and work with the chat bot or the voice bot when you get it. Well, you know, I don't want to I don't want to occupy all the time about, you know, voice and, and chat bots. But, you know, I do have an application and it's for the uh, the FCC's affordable connectivity program. And, and we're trying to figure out a way to, you know, direct calls that might come in. So I'll, I'll talk to you <laughs> offline about that. Uh, and and uh, maybe you yeah, can help me. Too. Yeah, happy help me uh, maybe set that up. Uh, but you know, I, 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 I'm I'm glad to hear that there were a lot of uh, lessons learned and and a lot of uh, uh, things that were applied that could be applied to other applications. And you know, I think during the that period of time, didn't Google Cloud become a, a much more prominent player in your your architecture? It sure did, uh, because we built Safe Travels on Google Cloud, mm-hmm. and you know we we only had about six weeks to build Safe Travels in terms of the initial application, and uh, Google Cloud was ideal. We looked at some of the things we needed, like we really needed the, an international reach because people come to Hawaii from all over the world. Uh, we really needed you know, 100% uptime pretty much because the thing could never go down. Can you imagine you're standing in line at the airport trying to come in and the application goes down for mm-hmm. an hour? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't get out of quarantine. So, you know, we, we had some very high standards and Google Cloud was able to meet the standards. And we also had worked with them on some pilot projects that helped us have confidence that they were the right folks to work with. Um, so they were with us the whole way. Um, I, I had about 20 people in ETS that worked on safe travels, but there were a couple hundred others who worked on safe travels at various times mm-hmm. in the Department of Defense and Department of Health and at the airports and even the harbors. You know, we had a lot of people working on safe travels yeah, in yeah. different aspects. But, yeah, my team uh, met every morning at 8 o'clock with Google and our contractor, SpringML, mm-hmm. went over whatever was going to happen. And I'll tell you, and you know this, Safe Travels changed every week pretty much. You know, like it started out just being a quarantine tracking system mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that we knew who was in quarantine. But pretty soon it became a system that would allow people to get out of quarantine if they had a proper test. And so then we had to let the test come into the system, and we used artificial intelligence to read the tests to try and process them quickly. Mm-hmm. And then we eventually used artificial intelligence to read vaccination forms. And every time something changed, we had to make a change to the system, like the length of quarantine changed from 15 days to 10 days and you know yeah. things like that. But yeah. starting with Starting with something that have not, never been done before in some ways was kind of easy because we didn't have any legacy requirements we had to meet. We just had to, we just had to go fast all the time. Right, right. Now you did mention uh, improvements to our cybersecurity, and, and given the the fact that there's so many more threats uh, that are happening out there, uh, maybe maybe you can share a little bit about uh, some of the things that that you had to put in place uh, over the last year that helped us to be more. Uh, not only resilient, but you know, protect 
the data that uh, resides on on the state network. Yeah, uh, you know the biggest thing for us is how fast will we be notified that something's going on, and how fast can we respond to it, or uh, know how to respond to right. it. So, you know, what we can't afford is to not find out about something for days or weeks, and that used to be the case. Um, so now our goal really is when something starts to happen, we want to know about it right away so that we can do the things we have to do to protect the network and protect all the data. Uh, and I think our tool set that we have now is pretty good about notifying as quickly that there's a risk. And I would also say throughout the United States and including the federal government um, and across state government, there's a lot of cooperation going on right now. So if somebody sees something, they tend to share it with everybody else. Mm -hmm. And we're part of this uh, multi-state ISAC, which is information sharing agency. And if something's happening, the MS ISAC will notify us. And they actually even help us monitor our network so that if they see something, they let us know. Um, so it's, it's a very cooperative process that has lots of layers to it to make sure we can protect everything. And a lot of it is automated and doesn't require people to sit and look at, you know, millions and millions of, right. you know, right. things on the network. You know, there's so much coming into the network all the time. We can't possibly deal with it all. There's so much email coming in even that we can't deal with it all. Well, you know, you know just using a person. Yeah, no, Doug, that's that's a, a really a, a critical piece of the network. And then, and then you also mentioned something about, uh, you know, portfolio management, which I think is a an interesting area. But, you know, I, I do want to delve a little bit into that. So what we will do, we'll hold that thought. And, of course, uh, we'll be right back of this uh, short break uh, to continue our conversation with the Chief Information Officer, Doug Murdoch. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. If you're just joining us, we're talking to the Chief Information Officer for the State of Hawaii, and we're doing a little retrospective look at IT modernization and what what uh, maybe took place during uh, the year 2022. And then right before the break, uh, Doug was talking about some of the um, uh, cybersecurity improvements, and I think uh, that's a, an essential critical part of you know, safeguarding the network and safeguarding the data that's on the network, uh, and and again, the other another thing that uh, you know, Doug, you guys are are, you know, just having to deal with so many different projects, and and this idea of portfolio management from an IT perspective, and and a product like something like uh, Lean IX. I mean, what 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 does Lean IX help you to do? Well, the state has about you know, five to 600 different applications that we run for various purposes. Mm -hmm. And every one of those applications has little projects against them. So what we do is we try and keep cat track of all the applications and all the projects and, you know, work with the departments to help them work through those things. And we have an investment committee that meets uh, for any project that's bigger than a million dollars to determine that it's an appropriate investment. And we track the projects as, as they go toward completion. So 
we keep track of when they start and when they're supposed to end and how much money it's supposed to cost. And a lot of that information is up on the ETS website, which is ets.hawaii.gov. So we keep we keep a list of all the applications and a list of all the projects and which departments they belong to. We don't keep all the other data about when they're supposed to start and finish up there. Um, but we, we do put some information up for the public to see mm-hmm. that, you know, we are paying a we're paying pretty close attention to our investment in IT so that it, the money is, is money well spent. Yeah, and, and that's part of the transparency. That's part of the open data. Uh, and and uh, I, I did take a look at the site, and, and it is there is a boatload of projects that are there that uh, you have to keep track of. And, you know, as they, as they start, as they get developed, as they start to come to, uh, um, you know, completion, uh, you know, how do you take care? I mean, how do you manage? You know, five hundred go- uh, projects that are all kind of going simultaneously. So, a product like IU uh, Lean IX is is uh, really critical. Now, you know, one of the things that um, as we kind of kind of wind down, you know, the Hawaii Annual Code Challenge. I mean, that was the number seven. I mean, it, it uh, ran pretty much every year for uh, David Ige's uh, Governor Ige's uh, term, and of course, the last one. Uh, just got done, I guess, sometime in November. Uh, any any um, thoughts on the winners and and uh, what came out of that uh, particular code challenge? It was very exciting. I was involved in four of them out of the seven, mm-hmm. and each year it got interesting and different, and the talent level of the students got better and better. I think. You know, the first year of the pandemic, we considered canceling it, but we decided just to make it a remote uh, hack. So uh, one of the things that's unique about the hack that we've talked about is the students basically get three or four weeks to do their challenges instead of just one day. Mm -hmm. And another thing that's really unique is that the state agencies come up with challenges to meet needs that they have that they don't have applications for. So, you know, for example, one year somebody wanted – Somebody wanted to do a pet tracker for pets that come into the state and mm-hmm. are being kept by the Department of Agriculture. And, uh, you know, just different projects like that. Another year they wanted some way to have somebody send a photo if they saw an endangered species or if they saw somebody harassing a protected animal, mm-hmm. you know, that, that had a geolocating tag in it. So this year we had some great challenges from the departments and uh, we had – to, we had we had high school in a in an open uh, category, mm-hmm. and then we had a low code and a program uh, category. And high school team won both the uh, the low code and also the the high school category. So they won two two awards, which was awesome. Well, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And I, you know, I I hope that. Uh, there's some form of the the, the hack that uh, con- kind of continues on. It was kind of a fun way of getting getting the community involved with some of the the challenges in in the IT world. And you know, Doug, I mean, uh, it's been great uh, working with you and and having you on the radio and 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 talking about all the projects that are underway. Uh, I will keep in touch with you. But uh, where can people find out more information about you know what all happens at at uh, ETS and 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 I guess uh, with the with the new administration, there'll be some probably new people coming in. But uh, we'll we'll definitely want to keep track of you know developing developments in the IT world. 
There's all kinds of information on the hack and everything else at ets.hawaii.gov, which is our website. So encourage people to take a look up there. Very good. And, of course, Doug Murdoch is the uh, State of Hawaii's Chief Information Officer during Governor David Ige's second term. And, of course, he is uh, being held over as uh, uh, during this interim when the Green Administration announces their selection for the state CIO. And, Doug, I want to mahalo you for joining me today. And, of course, thank you for listening to Bite Mars Cafe. Join us next week uh, when we'll gaze into the future and see what is in store for us in 2023. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarscafe.org. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HBR One every Wednesday or anytime via the HB app or your favorite podcast application. You stay safe. You stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Mars Cafe. Stay tuned. Reveal is next.